monsters, madness, and I wonder as to what unmentionable nourishment those roots must be sucking from that tomb. Welcome to the Monsters Madness and Magic podcast. I am Justin, and this evening we are joined by a very special guest, the Dream Quester, Randolph Carter himself, Mr. Mark Kenzie Stevenson. Mark, how the heck are you? I'm doing great, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's more than a pleasure to have you. You have no idea. I've seen uh, those movies so many times, and sitting here with you is kind of surreal for me. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, it's always, it's always a pleasure to meet uh, fans as well as uh, not only fans for myself, but just fans in general for H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and, and just, uh, and Randolph Carter. It's, it's funny to be recognized as Randolph Carter, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's such, such a huge figure in uh, Lovecraft's mythos. And I'd say it's always between you and Jeffrey Combs whenever I'm reading Lovecraftian fiction and I picture the protagonist. It's either you as Randolph Carter or it's uh, Jeffrey Combs as any other character he plays. And those are the two, those are the two you think of. Oh, nice. You know, I had the pleasure of meeting Jeffrey at one point. I, I saw him in a show. He's a very nice fella. Uh, really? And, uh, yeah, so it was funny. Sort of like suddenly, you know, you're looking in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, it's your other half. You're like, oh, these are the two Lovecraft guys. <laughs> so did you have a eureka moment early in life to kind of, that kind of pushed you over the edge to try acting out? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I fell into it by accident, Justin. Totally. Um, so when I went to college, I went to Austin College in uh, Sherman, Texas, uh, liberal arts school, and I actually went to uh, study political science and to become an attorney. Ooh. And my dad, uh, he probably ruse <laughs> now in his grave, he still probably ruse it, uh, but he had t told me, it was uh, during my uh, sophomore year, he had said when I'd signed up for classes, he said, well, you know, Mark, uh, you need to sign up for one of them there acting classes. And I said, well, why is that, Dad? And he says, every good attorney, the best of them are great actors. So take that <laughs> acting class. So, uh, so I took uh, an acting class, uh, not knowing what it was going to lead. And uh, the professor at the time, uh, when I was in acting, uh, just really elevated me. Uh, you know, he, he really spoke highly of me. And I kept sitting there going, well, you know, I, I want to rethink this. And so we, uh, we were uh, in that acting class, and then came the spring, and he said, I'd like for you to audition for uh, this show. Well, there, typically shows at college are always going to go to the seniors and then maybe to the juniors. And here I am, just uh, one acting class and a sophomore, and I land the lead role in the play. And uh, I was not popular. <laughs> <laughs> I was not popular to be the lead. However, I will say that that was the Eureka moment. Um, 
my dad was not happy at all that suddenly I was falling into acting. So we had to do a negotiation. <laughs> Backfired. Uh, it was very interesting. He came to see the show. Uh, my grandmother was there with him um, and my mother. And my grandmother later told me that he had to get up during the show because he was so moved. Wow. And I think he knew he was in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that so piece of advice backfired. Yeah. So that was, it was a very interesting moment. So Justin, I would say that that was the sort of the uh, eureka moment that led to me wanting to explore it further and fall in love with uh, theater and, uh, and then learn about film. Mm -hmm. I actually auditioned for uh, my first film just by fluke uh, while I was in college. And uh, I didn't land, land it, but it, it was an LA production that was filming in Louisiana and they were just looking for uh, folks my type, and, uh, but it didn't happen. And that's okay. Uh, yeah. You yeah. found your role. So, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, that was a start. There Do you go. remember the uh, the play that you uh, starred the lead in that everyone was mad about? Uh, yes, uh, it was called Birth by Drowning, uh, and I played the prophet uh, Elisha. Ooh. And it was uh, it was a poetic type play. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was it was fun. It was it was a lot of fun. See, I didn't know that you had a background in theater, but. It's I kind of had an inkling just by watching you in the unnameable something has always told me that you had a background in theater. So uh, do you, have you worked in theater since the unnameable? Yes. Uh, so I did a lot of theater before film and then, uh, and I've always had theater. Uh, I'm currently not able to do as much theater. So, but I go to some, of course we're dealing with a pandemic, yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but um, I've had to take a bit of a break due to my new job role in life, uh, but uh, I am on the board of directors for a local theater here in LA. So uh, I, I'm very active in the theater community. A lot of folks know me. Uh, I was also, I did uh, articles. I wrote articles for LA Stage Alliance. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's my role is theater will always be part of uh, my blood, in my bloodstream. That's, that's good to hear. What are, what are some of your favorite roles to play on stage? Oh gosh, well I, I will guy. tell you, er, Early on, it was more, uh, I was cast in a lot of musicals, um, and I had such a joy to be able to work with some, some of the stalwarts of musical theater, uh, and, you know, I, I, names like uh, Joanne Worley. Now, Joanne Worley, you know, we're talking older actress, right, but to work alongside her and Annie was a hoot absolutely who she me laugh we would meet backstage and she had her dogs and <laughs> but i had such a great experience with really some phenomenal actors you know people who had great experience and that's how you learn right if you will just and and they want to pass on that knowledge and i've done that myself mm -hmm. it's just part of of who we are in the industry to not be selfish. I mean, there's going to be some people selfish, but of course. Um, but I, I had the great joy of working with the late Anthony Newley, uh, and Tony was uh, phenomenal and uh, had such a great time working with him. So all of these, but from a role standpoint, gosh, I mean, how did, it's sort of like picking your favorite child, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, of course. But I'm I'm more interested in while musical theater was uh, an easy payoff. I'm much more interested in just plays, right. getting into the meat. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, musicals uh, will be a little bit more lighter. On the whole, typically lighter. Of course, now things have shifted. Uh, you know, you have Hamilton, you have uh, Dear Evan Hansen. You, ha you, know, you have some wonderful musicals, and, 
and uh, things are a little bit more me, but uh, typically plays have been my thing. And just so you know, uh, if I had no more time, I actually wanted to do a one-man show of, of uh, Randolph Carter and H.P. Lovecraft. I have that note written down. I was very intrigued to ask you about that and what the status on that was. Yeah, I if I just had more time. It's one of those where it's almost like I need a writer to work mm-hmm. with me because I just, the hours, there's just not enough hours in the day. But uh, I know that I'm older than H- H.P. would have been in his life because he died much earlier. Right. But, you know, you still can carry on the persona. Right. And, and you've already uh, had that down. Yeah. And H.P. is such an interesting person. And he had this interesting persona. And I think there's just so, so many varying levels uh, that could truly be of interest. Uh, and what it might be to have him where he was, but bring him into now, I right. think it's... would also just be an interesting layer of thinking. Right. And so it's strange that someone like Lovecraft hasn't had a biopic or some kind of biographical work already done. It's yeah. still so popular now. Yeah, and you're right. Um, I would love to take on that role. And let me tell you, that would be uh, whew, that would be probably like a topper right there. Uh, yeah. But it's, you know, when you're tackling somebody like that, that's also you have to be so careful because people are really protective. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. They're really protective of HP. Yes. So you just don't want anybody uh, doing whatever with, uh, right. with his story. But there are so many interesting layers to him that are applicable to today, Justin. Yeah. I mean, think about it. He sort of is predicting where we are at this moment. The pandemic. I'm glad you're going here because I, I was planning on going here already. So just continue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go, you go, man. I was going to ask you, we're in, we're in, we're kind of in the midst of this re- reincarnation of the rolling twenties. You know, this is where the majority of Lovecraft's most popular works were made. Uh, Cthulhu was in 26. Unnameable itself was in 23. Mm-hmm. So it's just weird that it's almost like our global consciousness is kind of shifting back towards these themes almost a hundred years later. Yeah. I, I don't know what to attribute that to. What do you attribute that to? Is it just, it's kind of strange. I, think I don't it, know. I, I think HP was prophetic. Yeah. Um, I agree. That's one of the interesting things is, you know, he was very eccentric. We all know that. Uh, and, and I'm not going to say that I'm like uber versed on, on him. Right. Uh, I was very fortunate. Well, I'll, I'll get into that later, but, to me, it's when you look at HP's work and you just sort of dissect it, he was talking about climate change. If you really look at some of those stories, he's talking about climate change. He's talking about the effects uh, and atrocities that humanity has on the world. Mm-hmm. And basically, the world is reacting to it. Creation is reacting to it. Yeah, trying to eject. We're the parasite and they're trying to eject, kind of eject us off, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you, you can see that in his writings. And it, I find that fascinating. It's almost like you just want to get into that brain just so you can have just a little crevice of mm-hmm. a few of those cells just to experience what he, what he was going through. Right. And a lot of his stuff is dealing, no one was really touching dreams back then. And a lot of his stuff is involving dream worlds. You know, Randolph Carter himself, he has the dream cycle. It's just it was a very interesting body of work in an interesting time. And no one was doing it quite like that. He was influenced by Poe, but his themes were next level. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I love that about him that he was influenced by Poe. And it's, it's funny. I was reflecting on that today. Um, just thinking back and when I was in school that I, 
I was drawn to Edgar Allan Poe. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of funny because then I was like, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. But I remember being in a classroom and they were reading one of his stories. And it was like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. And, right. and just getting captured into it. And uh, I'm, I didn't know anything about H.P. Lovecraft. Just, just, I'm being very frank. I had yeah. no clue who Lovecraft was. Um, I uh, was really um, drawn to Stephen King, uh, the classic Stephen King. Nice. Um, and so all of that influenced me to when it came time to audition for Randolph Carter. All of that led to that. I had zero clue who H.P. Lovecraft was until I got cast. And then when wow. I got cast is when I then delved into more of an understanding. Well, since we're there, uh, just take us through how you heard about the role of Randolph Carter and how you eventually landed it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that one uh, also is interesting. So I have a dear friend. Uh, I, you know, that's the blessings of being on the theater, being on film is uh, when you can have a lasting friendship. Mm -hmm. And I hit it off with uh, Charles Klossmeyer. Chuck and I are dear friends, uh, even to this day. Uh, in fact, you know, we talk probably once every two weeks, just check wow. in and, and uh, but he's, he's a great, a great guy. So Chuck was already cast as Howard. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw uh, an ad in one of the local rags uh, for, I think it was called Backstage West. Uh, no, it was Dramalog. It was Dramalog back then. And, uh, you know, you're looking for work. I had just come into LA and my agent was not happy, not happy at all. Uh, I, had, I had finished up a play in a, a musical in Houston and uh, these agents had seen me uh, from LA and they said, hey, if you ever want to come to LA, we'll rep you. And I went, great. And so I then moved a year later and mm -hmm. uh, came to LA. So I was just hitting the ground running and I saw the ad and my agents were like, mm, you know, that's going to be low pain and it's, it's really not, uh, let's don't go there. And, you know, once you go into the horror, uh, it's <laughs> not, you can't get out of it and it's going to hurt you, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're giving me all the aided and why not. And uh, I decided, well, you know, what the heck, what I got to lose, you know, got nothing to lose. So uh, I got called in. And uh, that's where I got to meet Jean-Paul Ouellette. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Jean-Paul and I uh, hit it off. Uh, but yeah, Jean-Paul, that's the interesting thing, just that when people see something in you that you may not see or recognize, it's sort of like that seed that's within you that you know is there, but mm -hmm. someone else has to see it to, for it to yep. blossom. Sure. And so Jean-Paul saw that, that kernel of, uh, his vision of what Randolph Carter was. And he told me uh, that it actually the final casting, he said the minute he met me, he was like, okay, this, this guy, I think he may be it. So it was between me and another, uh, another guy. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but I didn't know it. At the time. But Jean-Paul said that I just, I completely just took, took the room um, with my audition and um, Honestly, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, you just go Lovecraft, that you weren't aware of Lovecraft's work, but I could put myself in his position, him be obviously making the movie, he's aware of Lovecraft's work. And then you walk in, he's just like, you know, music playing in the background. This is my guy. When he walks in, I could see that. I would do the same thing. <laughs> right, right. And so, and, and Jean-Paul, much to his credit, uh, helped me uh, understand pretty rapidly because it was a, a quick process. I would just pepper him with questions, you know, uh, what's Randolph's background, you know, and he would lead me to certain things. He would say, mm -hmm. read this story or go to this section and look at HP uh, as life. And 
So he was a great help, uh, especially with the fine tuning of that first film. By the time I had gotten that under my belt, then I started learning more about it and delved more into it. But yeah, the, uh, that was the audition process and how I landed the role. And uh, Chuck and I, like I said, Chuck and I became great friends. That's cool uh, that you guys still talk. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I still connected with a, a few other people on, on the, the show, the very first film. Wow, that's really uh, yeah, cool Yeah, so uh, we had a nice little reunion uh, about two, three years ago. Wow. So that was fun, yeah. I wish I could have been there for that one. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I've read that Jean-Paul uh, did a lot of fighting for you to get that role because some people didn't quite agree that you uh, fit the part. Well, that was more so, uh, that was more so the second film. Gotcha. So the first film, yeah, because Jean-Paul always believed it. Uh, the second film is when it elevated. There was more money involved. There was a bigger budget. There was uh, more producers. There was a distribution, all this stuff. And then suddenly they were like, well, you know, that's the lead role. And he's an unknown. You know, again, it's such a game. Yeah. Hollywood is such, and it's uh, very wearing. You have to have a lot of patience, and you have to deal with a lot of negativity and rejection. You just have to have thick skin. Um, but yeah, Jean-Paul fought for me, and uh, he basically said, this is my guy, and uh, he needs to do it. And, and again, kudos to Jean-Paul for being in my corner. Time has um, proven him right. Yeah, and, and I had such a great time on the second one. I know the second one, it's so funny because, you know, you get – uh, people who either like the first one or they like the second one or you know it's uh but in the second one which had a little longer shooting period because the first film was three weeks and it was like gorilla gorilla shooting wow um but on the second film we had a little bit more time but i had such a blast because i got to work with uh, maria ford and i got to uh and that's where i really got to work with her much more julie, julie warner uh but john reese uh, davies john reese davies the man yeah oh my gosh <laughs> uh oh my gosh that was so indie yeah uh, <laughs> hearing that voice in person would just send a chill up uh, my spine oh it, we would have great conversations uh such a you know i it just takes me back uh yeah. i would love just to sit down and just chat with him again but I, I will also say that I love David Warner. Hmm. David was only on a one day. He was only on, on the shoot for one day. Now, you talk about eccentric. That guy is so <laughs> funny. But I geeked out. Now, first of all, I was geeking out over Jean Reese Davies. I mean, come on, Cindy yeah. Jones, right? And, you know, yes, it, this is like huge. But uh, when I found out David had been cast, that's when I was like, wow. I, <laughs> I was just like, you know, fanboy. Uh, because of the omen yeah and i have memories of the omen back and you know i had <laughs> there was a good friend of mine she went with me to go see the omen and there came this scene with the the dogs and there was another one with david and i still have claw marks in my arm wow <laughs> when, she, <laughs> when she was just so frightened but uh david uh such a interesting fella but I will tell you one of the interesting little tidbits that he had is he had one request. He had to have hot dogs. He had to have hot dogs on the set for his lunch. Interesting. Yeah. And so, uh, but David was so interesting. Uh, we didn't really have a rehearsal period with him. He came in, he sat down behind the desk. We marked out our spots, introduced ourselves. Uh, he was very kind, very kind, very giving. 
And then he would ask me a couple of questions. So it was not even on the script. We we're just asking questions and stuff. And right. then we kicked it in. And you talk about intensity. That was electric. It was truly electric to be in the room across the desk in, uh, in that moment. It's like, wow. Hot dogs must be the key to his longevity because I feel like he's been in Hollywood since the 60s almost. <laughs> right. or, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that long. He's still acting, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just small world is I ran into his sister uh, a few years back and uh, in Studio City. A very nice, very nice woman. Uh, so, yeah. So how long uh, did you have between the first and second films before they started uh, shooting again? Oh, gosh. Um, I think it was a four or five year period there. I think it might have been five years. Yeah. And that was hard. That was, I think that was another reason, Justin, why they did not want me in the second film is because, I mean, hello, I'm older. Yeah, and, and so they're taking, basically, we were acting like college students, and it's this, basically the same day. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. So it's like crazy. Um, but that's, the, one of the, that's one of the fun things with um, the horror community is is they're like they're gonna roll with it yeah you know it's like ah. it's like <laughs> ah no not a big deal but you put it in the hands of a critic and then, of course the critic is sit there and go well he's he's certainly older yeah uh, but the you know the people who really enjoy the genre are like i don't care yeah just, i never you know, care do not care i'll watch those <laughs> movies uh, it's funny because i just did another podcast recently where we were uh every one of the hosts picked a nostalgia film and then we discussed it for an hour and my choice was the unnamed and oh, wow. uh, one of the things that we talked about is that I wanted to ask is now, while I love those films, the unnameable wouldn't necessarily be my first choice of a Lovecraftian story to adapt just because it's so short. It's barely, a, it's like a page or if that. And uh, did you ever have any conversations with John as to why he chose that story? I think in John Paul's mind, because there's more, there's more to the story. So I think in John Paul's mind, he had set up a series of films. He was thinking through going, okay, I'm going to lead with this, which leads to that. And then it started, you know, it's, it, it's um, like a series of five, seven films. Um, for instance, so here's, here's a, a fact that most people are going to know, is Jean-Paul was starting off with the unnameable. And he had a feeling that it was going to kick off, that something about my character was going to kick off. And it did. Led to the second film, and then he wanted to do Whisper, uh, Whisper in the Darkness. Mm. I have that script. Ah. I have that script at, at home that we had ready to go, and it would include Howard and me. So it was a great script. I mean, it, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be a lot of fun, and it would have been just a lot of fun to get other actors involved. And then we had Rats in the Walls. Man, so this we, is making me upset so over had, here. <laughs> <laughs> so we had these films ready to go, okay, we can go to that script, we can go to that script. But uh, things went awry after the second one. Again, it's out of my hands. Cause, um, but yeah, it was real bummer to not be able to follow that up. But that, to me, was the thinking. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, the reason why he started off with that shorter film, because it would be a, short, a smaller budget, Yeah. right? Uh, and that's, that's the way you do, is you start off with a smaller budget. Hey, it's a hit. Now, now I can afford a little bit more money, right? Carter... At least your performance in the movie, Carter, is so different from the usual nerd archetype. It's more of like a suave intellectual and more of the, of the Big Bang Theory kind of type of nerd that people have out there. <laughs> it's kind of even implied at the beginning he has a little luck with the ladies. 
and <laughs> and he never appears quite scared or nervous. He just seems to understand what's going on and like knows what's necessary. So were you given that kind of direction or was that more of a, how you just chose to play it? Was there a lot of freedom? going? Um, Jean-Paul allowed me as much freedom as I, I wanted. Um, the thing that I loved working with Jean-Paul was the collaboration. So I could just throw some ideas and say, hey, what about this? But again, we were doing everything on such a fly. Mm -hmm. It was just crazy. But like in the second script, I have notes all over my script. I still have that script. And there's notes all over the place, uh, you know, taking me on the journey. Um, but yeah, a lot of that was instinctive. Uh, I would say a lot of that was instinctive. <laughs> um, I, I, looked at, I looked at Randolph as not so much an observer of life, but because as an observer of life, you are removed. However, he was more of, I, I, I already have a taste of this. I know what this is and I can now, and I can be removed. I can be detached. Right. So it doesn't, so the detachment, so that way you're not influenced. You're able right. to just step back and it's sort of, more, sort of more like, I think the main direction that I got from Jean-Paul was he said, think Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I can see. And so that I took and I just started taking those little nuggets. See, because my favorite, one of my favorite scene in the movie is, you know, you have all the chaos happening in the house. Everyone's uh, dying and screaming and Carter's casually in the library thumbing through the books. And he's just like, oh, I know exactly. Uh, just give me a second here. You know, <laughs> so yeah. chaos is happening into the world. Yeah. But you know what? If y'all just go ahead and handle it, I'll be fine. Just let me get through the book. I'll yeah. find the spell and away we go. <laughs> Not even phased. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That was the beauty of Randolph for me is, is uh, and here's, here's the deal, Justin, is, is that you can't play everything just dead serious. Everything can't be dead serious, 100% uh, blinders on. Mm -hmm. I'm, anytime I take a role, and, and that's theater, that's film, whatever it may be. Anytime I take a role, I look for humor in there, but I'm not going to hit the humor like a, a hammer on the nail. I'm not going right. to hit it on the head. Subtlety. But I'm going to allow the humor to be there while taking that and being serious. So the aspect of Randolph is he knows all hell's breaking, mm -hmm. right? Right. But if he, if he allows himself to be influenced by everything going chaotic, then he, then he has only become part of the chaos. Mm -hmm. His thing is to end the chaos. Right. Or to, or, and, and, and I will add an addition, to understand what the chaos is. If he can just define it, that only adds to his knowledge. That only gives right. him more knowledge and only gets him, elevates him even higher. Right. All right. I mean, like I said, Carter is still, Carter is one of my favorite protagonists just because of that reason, just because he's just so cool under pressure. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things I loved about Randolph Carter. Absolutely. Cool under pressure. He's, he's, uh, he's the geeks, James Bond. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> the, that's the best way to put it. Right. But that's the interesting thing too. Uh, so here comes the second film, right? Uh, and, I, and I'm sorry, you probably have a ton of questions, oh, but I'll cool. still go ahead. I'm, you go ahead. This is all about all right. you. I'm enjoying uh, this. Well, no, uh, please, let's not make it all about me. <laughs> I'm just having fun. I'm having fun with you. We're just having a little chit-chat. Right. You know, if we of had course. a beer, a Guinness, I'd be happy. <laughs> uh, so um, with the second film, so you'll, you'll notice the difference between the first one and the second. There's a lot of difference. A big difference is that in the first film, uh, 
I'm not necessarily influenced by women or uh, it's basically that, that thing, you know, you just acknowledge it and you move on. In the second film, that's what I really liked about that is, is that his heart got tough. Right. But you'll notice the trajectory. You'll notice that trajectory through that film. And then that's the thing that I, I loved being able to explore. We don't see that, please. It's not there in the book. It's, it's no, please, Randolph Carter. But the thing that I liked was that ability of his protective. He was so protective of Elida uh, in the human form that, but here's, I mean, dude, really, a nude woman, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. A minute, it's like, you know, some red-blooded American is going to sit there and go, yeah, <laughs> let's go to town, man. Yeah. Right? Exactly. But there's Carter and a Carter's a Caesar and it's like, okay, whatever, we're moving on. You know, yep. dude, there's a dude, there's a nude woman. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a nude woman in the, in the room. He's like, yeah, whatever. We're moving on. Yep. And, and I, I love that about him, but it was the allowance as the movie kept going that heart. Yeah. Because see, that's the thing is, is the man has a heart, but he, I, I, the way I played him was, is that he's very protective of his heart. Right. And the Unable 2 being a direct sequel, kind of like you just said earlier, being the next day, uh, it kind of gives you a longer time frame to explore the character and uh, develop. And did, did you enjoy that aspect being just to take Carter from the beginning of the first movie all the way through the second? Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> I took a trip to Providence. Um, yeah, I went to Brown University, which has a HP Lovecraft collection, a phenomenal collection. In fact, they've only added more to it. Um, but I, if I'm not mistaken, upon his death, a lot of the original works went into the library. And it was a big deal. I actually got to go into the very important secretive section, you know. Oh, man. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I did a little studying of HP. And uh, because to me, I wanted to study HP because to me, HP is Randolph Carter. Yeah, Carter is the stand-in. That's Carter is Lovecraft himself standing in his stories. Yeah, so I figured the more that I would learn about HP, that would just immediately influence me into right. Carter's world. And it did. And I had, uh, I had a great time in Providence. I got to uh, see some of the, the sites. It's, it's an interesting town, but Brown University. And, and I know that, uh, at least from what I remember, HP wanted to go to Brown or thought he could go to Brown University. And I think that's another reason why his works were uh, provided to them. Yeah. It's funny because the unnameable, uh, I think... The I'm missing uh, bits and pieces of the story now that I'm trying to think about it, but that was an actual conversation, the the unnameable story when they're talking in the graveyard and having the philosophical quandary about science versus the unnameable or the unknowable. That was an actual conversation that Lovecraft was having with a friend that was uh, named Joel. I can't remember the writer's name, but it was something, he just barely shifted it to Joel Manton. And yeah, it was just him picking at his friend, basically, you know. <laughs> whatever about my fiction <laughs> that's just a well and i think i think hp was really on the stuff there justin is is that he believed in uh, the unknown there there is something about me that i uh, that's another reason why i gravitated toward uh hp's writing toward the randolph carter character is that i i'm not a fan of of um horror films that are just nothing but gore yeah, I uh, it. yeah. look i appreciate it and it's like that's great 
I've only walked out of a handful of films. My very first film that I walked out of was Halloween. No, no, not, I'm sorry. Not Halloween. Not Halloween. Friday the 13th. That was the, the original. First film, the original. Uh, it was because to me, that was just so gratuitous and it was just too violent for me. I'm more of a, a, a Hitchcock. Uh, I'm more of Alfred Hitchcock type that, and to me, that's HP. Because what he does is he layers his stories, not, not all of the stories, but most of the stories. What he does is he layers it in, in such a way that it's building. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want you to see the creature at first. He wants you to smell. He wants you to taste. He wants you to hear, but you can't see it. It's the unknown. The unknown is more frightening than the known. Because exactly. once you see it, then it's like, okay, now I can deal with it, right? Yeah. His stories are like a heartbeat, you know, and as the story goes on, your heart, the, 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 the rhythm of the prose increases and the imagery becomes more detailed. And it's, yeah, it's a whole masterful thing. We could, I could talk, I'm not going to get into that, but I could talk about that for hours. Cause <laughs> what are some of your favorite Lovecraft uh, stories? Um, well, gosh, you know, I, it's, it would be fun to delve back into them. Uh, but th- again, the ones that I just remember were things like uh, Whisper in the Darkness mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, Thing on the Doorstep, uh, Rats in the Walls, uh, yeah. The Hound. No, I mean, you know, cool. just all of all of these things. Uh, it would be great to just take uh, all the stories again, immerse myself into. Uh, and I look forward to it. It's uh, uh, doing that again when I have the time. But it, it would be great again to do a one man show. Do a one man show. Well, there we go. It'd be. Uh, <laughs> what about films? What uh, Lovecraftian adapt? Do you uh, enjoy any of the other adaptions? Oh uh, gosh, Reanimator. I mean, that's yeah. like classic, right Combs. there. Any Combs, yeah. uh, love. I mean, absolutely. Jeffrey Combs is like the man. Um, but yeah, that that would be my top top one. I'm very intrigued. I understand. Um, I think it's Guillermo. I think Guillermo is. Uh, doing an adaptation he wants to do Ma- mountain of madness I think. right at the mountains of madness right yeah i've heard that too um but i think he's also running into some roadblocks <clears throat> and so that would be <clears throat> to me in his hands boy <clears throat> if someone just said hey you got a supporting role with him i'd be like jumping all over and i'd say <laughs> okay dropping everything and i'm going i'm going to work with him because he has such to that is um just on the basis of the films that he has created and directed and just his mind sure. to me that mind of his just coalesces perfectly with uh, the lovecraft world. i'd love to see it and that's another reason why i think that that would be a treat for all of us indeed i'll give you a recommendation if you have not seen in terms of modern adaptions uh, the richard stanley color out of space is great with nicholas cage oh nice nice but i saw i think i saw the trailer with that one with nick cage right mm-hmm uh, it's a great movie. Here's a funny one is, is that uh, Nick Cage's child went to the private school on the campus of where I was working. Oh, <laughs> so I crazy. would meet Nick driving up in his, you know, his big, nice, fancy car. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's real funny. Small world. It's all a small world, man. But yeah, all right. I, I'll look into that one. Good. Thanks. Did you uh, get to keep a copy of the Necronomicon by chance? Uh, I did not. However, Ah. however, (laughs) uh, I do have the ear of the creature. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's in my uh, my office at my home. Is I I've got it nailed up by the big poster. I have a big <laughs> movie poster. They gifted me with the poster, and I had that framed in my home, the original. Cool. And so yeah, I have the I have the ear of the creature nailed <laughs> into the wall. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because two of the most terrifying aspects of that movie. I saw it really young. Uh, uh, those horrible screeches were one of them. Like just, I could hear that those creatures screeches at night trying to go to sleep. Do you, how did they make those noises? Do you know? She did it. Oh my God. <laughs> she, I'm not joking. She, she did that. I, uh, I was on, um, I was either at the sound stage, but yeah. Um, and such a, uh, I, gosh, I've forgotten her name, but I will tell you that just a, not only a beautiful woman, but just a beautiful human being, uh, all of them. Every, that's the beauty of being on a cast is when <clears throat> when everyone's egos are set aside that's kind of that's kind of film that you want uh, and everybody just played played their part so perfectly well but yeah those those screeches those screams are her that is impressive and chilling at the same time <laughs> yeah and it was yeah. it was chilling i mean you know it's like shivers and the effects, like her makeup, did she have to go through, was that a suit or did she have to go through makeup? She had to go through makeup. Yeah. That's also another thing. That's a very, that's a very impressive get up there. Yeah, there were some elements that were, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, some elements that were part of a suit. But yeah, it was a lot of makeup. Wow. Yeah. Um, same with Julie on the second one. <clears throat> Julie, she had a lot of makeup for her creature. So there were, they didn't use the same actress for the creature in both the films. No. Uh, in fact, um, yeah, the first actress wasn't able to do the second film and that's when Maria Ford came in. Then Maria of course was well known within the horror community known as a scream queen. Mm-hmm. And so she was perfect to be able to, you know, so you got one scream leading into the other one for <laughs> screaming. Right. Uh, it's such a sweetheart. Maria just, just a, uh, and you talk about a trooper. I mean, heck, she spent well over uh, the majority of the film nude. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, she she was just a wonderful, again, wonderful human being. Not, I haven't seen Maria in a long time. I'd love to love for our paths to cross again. That would be cool. Yeah. Were there any uh, major differences that you or difficulties that you had to overcome between the first and second films, uh, maybe on set or? What were some of the challenges? Wow. Uh, you know, it, it sounds uh, funny to say I don't remember of any challenges. I, I really yeah, don't. Good. It was just it was just long days. Everything was just long, uh, grueling hours. But, you know, when you're you're having fun, you don't care. Right. It's like, hey, it's work, but you, you're you're heck, I'm relishing the character. Yeah. Right. It's like uh, I I don't want to be involved in anything in which I'm not going to enjoy the experience. I've, I've had a couple of times when I was in a show where it was just like, Oh gosh, just made this end. Right. Mm -hmm. That was early on. Now I I don't take anything unless it's something that I uh, either the character or I'm going to enjoy it. I don't have time to be around hateful people. I just don't agree. Life's life's too precious and too short. Yes, sir. I've seen that you are working on uh or you were attempting to record some Lovecraft uh, stories or uh, read them maybe for uh, audio drama purposes. Are you still working on that? Uh, I haven't followed through with it. Bob Brinkman. So here's, here's a, I don't know if you know Bob, but Bob, uh, I think Bob was connected with, he might've been connected with Fangoria. Again, we're going uh, way back. 
But Bob Brinkman became one of the, the people who was a critic that just loved my work. And Bob reached out to me and we became friends. And we're still connected as friends on uh, Facebook and we exchanged Christmas cards. So how do you like that? <laughs> and Bob, Bob will answer in, any inquiry. But Bob was the one that approached me and said, hey, Mark, you know, you should really consider doing some audio books uh, or audio recordings of HP's work. And, you know, my me, Mies is like, sure, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But he was very, he was dead serious about it. And I was like, all right, well, let me think of that through. And yeah, I just, again, it's, it's one where it's, uh, I need a team. I need a team of people just to be working with me at it done. Right. But yeah, I'd love to do it. Yeah. I was just fantasizing about that when I, uh, read that online. I was just like, man, I just need some Mark Stevenson, uh, dream quest narrations. And uh, that's what I'd fall asleep to. Just, that'd be great. <laughs> Hey man, I'd love to do it. That would be fun. We'll get you in contact with Audible and get a, get them on the ball. There you go. There <laughs> you go. You know what, Justin? It's, that's the thing that I've noticed is is that um, people want to connect. They really do. People yeah. really want to connect, and I believe that people want to succeed uh, for the most part. And so, but it's just like people like you. You reaching out to me because you know I. Look, I, I try to set aside my ego. Everybody's got an ego, but I try to set aside my ego because it's like, hey, Justin Young's reaching out and wants to do an interview. And it's like, oh, wow, I don't know why he wants to interview me, but great, <laughs> I'll interview him. You know, and then you're you're telling me you're geeking out because it's like, wow, it's the it's Randall Carter, the enameable ah! <laughs> right? And, but but to me it's it's all about relationships. And it's one of those things where it's like you may sit there and go, Oh my gosh, well, Mark wants to do recordings. Well, I'm gonna hook him up, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's that's the world that we all live in. Is that's the reason why I think that we want each other. Just like, why would I not want to grant you an interview? Because first off, I we've never met. Right. But you seem like a genuine fellow that's like, hey, I love the interview. You know, it's like, all right, fine. Let's set aside an hour and have a good time. I'm glad that you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. You know, I didn't, it's always iffy when you reach, you don't know someone and you reach out to them on Facebook, you know, you don't want to come across as that guy, but I was like, I gotta, you gotta shoot your shot from time to time, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I'm always at the adage, Justin, don't ask, don't get. Exactly. A closed mouth That's does it. not get fed. Right. And I, and I will say that Randolph, uh, being, having the honor, cause it is an honor. It truly is an honor to have been able to be Randolph Carter. And I'm not saying that I can't be Randolph Carter again. So, you know, I'm just an older Randolph Carter, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's an honor to play the role because I'm in HP's world. Yeah. And it's, it's mean, only people, growing. How many people get to say that? Not many. Right. And so to me, that's an honor. Um, and you just have to, you have to run with, it, enjoy it, enjoy the run. Uh, as much as possible. But to me, the bonus has always been uh, having people moved by the connection. Uh, I was so, uh, I was just overwhelmed and, and honored to be uh, asked to participate in a Necronomicon uh, discussion at uh, a Comic-Con in 2013. You know, I was honored to be asked by Andrew and others to be part of a Lovecraft film festival. I think it was in 2013. You know, those those are not things that I'm trying to make happen. It's just, I'm being asked. And, but then you, it's those little connections that occur yes, afterwards as well. And suddenly, you know, I've got a, a friend, she's just a lovely human being. Her name is Lynn. And uh, she reached out to me and just said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a fan and love to meet you. And I'm like, 
sure, you know, I, I'm not looking for uh, troublemakers, <laughs> you know, no, no nutcases, right? But, <laughs> but the thing is, is that um, it's just, it's really nice when you get to meet people who are just genuinely, they just want to meet you and just say right. hello. Exactly. I, I, I find most people are not uh, trying to be evasive, uh, 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 invasive, sorry, invasive. I don't find them to be invasive. I don't find them typically to be uh, possessional. It's more of, uh, they actually come up to me a little more respectful. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's because, honestly, I think it's because of the character that I played. It's a role a lot of people revere, you know? Right. It's an so important character. Right. So I think that's the reason um, that it's an honor to have played that role. Look, I haven't made a lot of money off of it, <laughs> but, it's, I, but that's not the reason why I took it. I didn't right. take the role to, to make the money. I took the role because it was like, wow. This is the first time it was because, hey, this is a job. Of course. Right. First time was it was because of a job. After that was when I learned, holy Lido, <laughs> look what I just got into. And it yeah. just, you're right. You dinner in the world. You're in there now. Right. So, yeah. That character. All right. So a few episodes ago, we had uh, his, uh, Jason Tarpy. He's the vocalist of a metal band called Eternal Champion. And he's a, an author of a if i got it here it's a, it's a book called i don't know if you can see that it's called the god blade oh yeah yeah, yeah. lovecrafty and robert howard style and uh-huh. me and him hit it off because uh he said that he found the unnameable the vhs in a video store and that's how he found hp lovecraft he thought hp lovecraft was a director and i'm the same way because <laughs> you see this red uh-huh. lettering on all these movies you see you know the unnameable and reanimated you're like man this guy's a prolific director and then that's that movie's a <laughs> <laughs> that movie is just a way that a lot of people found H.P. Lovecraft. And when you find Lovecraft, it's something you remember. That movie is responsible for a lot of people's connection. Nice. Nice. Well, and I know that would mean a lot to Jean-Paul Ouellette as well. I would, I would love to talk to him. I've, I might have to uh, try to see if we can make that happen, too. Yeah, Jean-Paul's over on the East Coast. So uh, he's a good, okay. good guy. Good guy. So what were some of your formative films growing up? Wow. Um... I will say the Exorcist. Good one. That one was Jaws. Oh, yeah. yeah, these. The, um, it's interesting. I, I'm now. Uh, gosh, you can back. So I was uh, back in the day when we only had three channels on a TV. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't have we didn't have the internet, people. Um, there was no streaming. Um, so, but yeah, we had. Uh, I would watch film on, on TV, but going to the movie theaters, when I was able to go to the movie theaters, that's when I would try to go see a film a week. Ooh. I was just gravitated towards film. It was, wow, that's just fascinating. The memorable part, I'll tell you, Justin, about The Exorcist is uh, <laughs> my grandmother, I, I called her mom, and uh, my grandmother had asked me uh, what I wanted for my birthday. And I said, uh, I would love for you to take me to lunch and to go see The Exorcist. Now, kudos to her <laughs> to be able to say yes to that. How many grandmothers That's are willing cool to grandma. go see? Yeah. You know, how many grandmothers, who was uber Christian, by the way, like uber, <laughs> like conservative, conservative. <laughs> uh, how many grandmothers like this? would say, all right, I'm willing to bite the bullet and go see The Exorcist of My Grandson. But she did, and um, I was informed about the movie because of the book. 
and the book allowed me into that world. And so to me, that's the thing is, is that books like HP's world, it's so hard to capture HP's world going from a book into the film. Just almost, it's typically impossible. Same thing with The Exorcist, although The Exorcist did a great job. Uh, but The Exorcist was very uh, informative and formative. Um, that and Jaws, uh, the Godfather series, especially part one and forget part three. <laughs> um, but, you know, those were early films and then it just builds from there. But um, especially, again, dealing with the unknown where you're right. just, you're capturing yourself in and you're gradually. The Hitchcock films were the ones that I would see on TV. That was, I was always intrigued by Hitchcock from the aspect of the build. Gotcha. And, uh, and that was one of the things that I liked uh, with uh, Jean-Paul, is Jean-Paul would often talk about Hitchcock with me and how we would want to just uh, shape, how, how things would be shaped. Right. So, yeah, but that, that would be my answer for right, right there. You mentioned Jaws. That's easily, like, if you just talk about sheer terror, that's probably the scariest movie I've ever seen because uh, it's kept me out of the beach until now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Jaws, I, Spielberg jumped through, man, you talk about a man who jumped through some hoops to get a film done, yeah. uh, just, just Bruce the shark. Um, but that film, to me, was um, a class all into itself from the Still. acting standpoint. When, that's, when you say what films were formative, The Exorcist was formative because of the story and, of course, the acting of Jaws is more so about the acting. That's just Robert like, Shaw. Man, oh, <laughs> Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus. You know, you you got all those all those phenomenal actors, and they're not chewing the screen like the shark. They are just living into the roles. And to me, that's when I think if I was to say what film might have might have influenced or thinking about theater or film, that was that's the one. Yeah, I will still watch the Indianapolis scene, the speech by Robert Shaw, and I still watch it to this day and get chills just to watch it. Yeah, it's it's one of my for me that and The Exorcist are in my top film top top ten films. Period. Yes, sir, definitely. Yeah. So, Mark, you're a man of faith. Uh, do you, are, is your congregation aware of your former life as Randolph Carter? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure they are aware of my former life or, or my life as Randolph Carter or my persona. Um, they, they know that I was in theater and, and some film, but yeah, they don't geek out over that. Um, so yeah, no, I, uh, I love being a pastor. It's definitely a journey. Uh, mm -hmm. But to me, there's something about doing uh, doing this, being a part of the journey, the faith journey, because you're always dealing with light and dark. And so it fits into me like HP. He deals with a world that is, but understand too, Justin, that it's like I tell my congregation, I don't look at uh, scripture or the Bible as, as black and white. And it's like with HP. HP is not going to be just a black and, a black and white on the page author. What he's doing is he's layering in all these different tones of gray. Mm -hmm. But the but those tones also then take on different colors. Yes, sir. And it's the same way for me with my, my faith community that I'm fortunate to lead. As I tell them, the Bible itself, yeah, it's, it's written and it looks black and white, but there's a lot of gray and, and we have to look at all the, the tones of the colors. And to me, people look at the Bible and they, it's all serious. Oh, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus is a very serious dude. 
there's only one way to look at him, you know? And I'm like, you people need to lighten up because Jesus is funny. There's a funny, there's a funny guy here. And so I, I tell him, you know, I say, look at this scripture in a different way. And, you know, he's poking fun and he's actually, you know, there's, there's so many layers within it. And that's the thing that I enjoy the faith community a part of. And, uh, and I'm sure, as you know, I uh, have a progressive faith community, but I also am very embracing of everyone. Um, that it's very important to me in my life, I not ostracize anyone, that I think it's important that we're always open and available to hear everyone's opinions, that we all come to the table. I have friends that are far, far to the left and far, far to the right. Yes, sir. But the thing is, is that we're not enemies. And so you shouldn't me, be. That, and, and yeah, we shouldn't be, but oftentimes people want to just draw their swords and start cutting away. Uh, and to me, I think that's the thing about film is that in many instances, I can't say in all instances because some films are politically slant, slanted, but uh, in many instances, I think that's the thing in beauty of film is that you're able to get in there and it doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum, doesn't matter where you are on the religious spectrum, you just go in and you're able to dive in and enjoy it and be, and, and I like those moments when you can be changed, that a change occurs in you. You never know when that's going to happen. Justin, the same thing happened for you. Who would have ever said the unnameable would have been a life changer for you? Uh, it's a weird thing to think about. And then I'd be sitting here talking to you. You know, it's just a weird turn of events. Right. But the thing is, is that little low budget film, not Jaws, not The Exorcist, right? Not the greatest film ever. Hate to admit it, but it's true. <laughs> right. But the thing is, is that that moment in time led you on your journey, right? right? And, and I love that. I love to see those moments of influence where you can, you can reflect back because you're, you're a young guy. But I was born in 1990. I, right. Well, see, you're a young guy, mm -hmm. right? But this is what I tell my congregation is, is that when you have a time to reflect back two or three years or five years, look back 10 years, you'll suddenly see these moments that led to this moment, right. right? And to me, that's the beauty of the journey of, of our lives. Uh, and to me, that's the same thing with HP is, is that he, God bless him, man. If he had gone off and, and allowed at the early point of his uh, writing career, uh, as just writing poems, writing stories and essays and whatnot, it's not like people were sitting there going, hey, give me some more. No. Right? But it's because he kept at it. And he kept going with it. And to me, that's, that's, that's part of the journey. And because of those moments of rejection or those moments where he's like, hey, I could have done that better, he kept fine-tuning to get to good stuff. Right. The good stuff that we are so fortunate to have. Uh, and to me, that's part of the journey of reflection, be able to say, hey, where was I to get to there to the next, um, you know? And we're lucky. We honestly are very lucky if we can, if we are able to take that, be mindful of that. Yes, sir. I consider myself very lucky to have had this conversation with you tonight, Mark. And I'm not going to hold you hostage any longer. We're coming up on our <laughs> hour. And I can't tell you enough how cool this has been. And I could probably talk to you till 10 o'clock, but I'm not going <laughs> to keep you that long. And if you talk to Chuck and we'd love to have a Randolph Carter Howard uh, reunion. So if you guys want to make that happen, I will definitely host it. <laughs> well, we, I, I promise you just, you know what? You send me an email. Uh, 
we will make that happen. I promise you I can make that happen. Because anytime right. Chuck and I get together, it's like a party. So <laughs> Okay, well, I can't wait to party with Carter and Howard. So we'll make there that happen. There you go. Nice. That'll be a lot of fun. And uh, I thank you for reaching out. I really appreciate, uh, again, your, your genuineness and your kindness and generosity. Look forward to uh, continuing uh, our, our relationship. Thank you, sir. And I will definitely be in touch. All right. You have a great night. All right. You too. Peace. Bye-bye now. Madness and magic.